Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, it is about that time of the year where we are gearing back up for how we do things here at our church. Um, When I get done with this message, uh, an MC will come up and they will say two things. The first thing they will say is that we have a purpose and the purpose of our church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. If you haven't heard that before, you'll hear it every Sunday because we are that committed to living out our purpose. But we also have a process and our process is three-pronged to connect people to God, to grow them in family, and then to have them serve our city. The second phase of that, growing with family, the way that we do that is through city groups. Now, the reason why uh, this is so important is we have city groups starting back next week, and there'll be a sign-up here on Sunday. Now, one of the most important things you know, for you to know, is that our city groups are grounded in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. What's happening in the book of Acts there is that you're seeing fellowship, you're seeing the breaking of bread, and you're seeing the apostles' teaching. So that's, it's the word of God being done in community because we fundamentally believe if you are going to grow, you're going to be in community while you grow. Now, in light of that, there will be some, maybe you've come from a different church, maybe you've had a different experience. So let me tell you what a city group is not. A city group is not a Bible study. And you may come from a space where that's what you want. And you may say in your heart, man, I just want the word. I just want the word. I want it. I want, I want like Greek and Hebrew words. I want, I want, I want to know what Paul was eating when he wrote it, like all that. And I totally understand that. And there is a place for that, right? But understand that when we talk about discipleship and growing, the only way we're knowing you're growing is when you're applying the word of God. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. You see, you can be a knowledgeable person of the Bible and still unloving. You could just be mean with Bible verses, praise God. So we're trying to make sure you're actually growing instead of just growing in knowledge. So we're committed to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. The other thing to also acknowledge is that it is not your, these are not necessarily your friends. Like, you're going to get to know people. They may not come to your birthday party, praise God. They might. They might not. You might have a concert, and they don't show up, praise God. I hope they do. I'm just saying, they might not. So just keep in mind that you can have friends there, but hopefully you'll build friends throughout the church. Amen? So those are starting next week. Now, we are committed to city groups. We're committed to your spiritual formation. We're so committed that we've definitely heard some feedback last semester, and uh, one in which we were just considering, man, this is such an important space. We need somebody who's thinking about this all the time. And so by God's grace, uh, we have our, uh, I think, one of our first hires from outside the church in quite some time. Uh, Corey Porter, she comes from, uh, she's, Corey, Corey currently uh, is at Princeton Theological Seminary, completing uh, her master's there. Um, She also brings, by way of uh, campus ministry experience, she's also a campus minister there at Princeton, working with undergrads uh, with a college ministry there. Previously, before that, she served in college ministry at a church in Michigan, and then before that, she came from Mississippi. After she's done getting her master's, uh, because she's an achiever, she wants to get her law degree, praise God, and so she is uh, dynamic in her understanding of the word, but we don't hire people because they're dynamic in the word, we hire them because of character. And so she's also a godly woman, one that you would, I'd love for you to meet. Uh, would you guys give me a, give her a round of applause, Corey Porter. Thank you, James. <laughs> I feel like when James gives me an introduction anytime, I'm like, man, can I ever reach up to that caliber of a person? Particularly when you hired me as a city group director, I was like, Lord, if it's banking on my accolades or my academics or the things that I've achieved by man's standards, I'm never going to be able to reach it. Amen. So when I think about the way, the way I want to come to this church is humbly. I want to come as a servant because I feel like I'm qualified, not necessarily by what I've done in the world, but more by my testimony through God. 
And so when James was like, Corey, could you say a couple words to the church about what your direction, how you're seeing your heart for discipleship here? I thought, well, wow, like I think my testimony serves as that. My mom used to say, Corey, um, and she wasn't saying this to be mean. One time she jacked me up against a wall. There was tears in her eyes. And she was really trying to be able to communicate something to me. I was around 16 years old. And I was wild and I had did something that I got suspended or I cut somebody out. Something was going on in life. And she jacked me up against the wall and she said, with tears in her eyes, streaming and kind of shaking, she said, Corey, I'm not playing with you. You're going to end up either pregnant, in jail, or dead. Those are the options in the direction that you're going in your life. And when I think about upon that, I was like, man, Lord, she was right. When I think about the series of whether it be the men I dated, the things I experienced, it came to a pinnacle in my life when I was in this desolate place called Cleveland, Ohio. Don't know if y'all know about it. Desolate. It was a horrible, horrible space in life. But I was there, and I had just either got kicked out of high school or I dropped out, depending on who tells the story. And I was in a space in life where I was struggling. And I remember um, my grandmother was a faithful woman, and she was faithful to people and also faithful to God. And in Mississippi, she, there was this church that we went to, an old missionary Baptist church. And she would put me right here on Sunday. And she would raise her hand, and she would say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was too young to understand the depth of the Jesus and what she was talking about, but I knew she was talking about testimony. I knew that every time she would say Jesus' name, there was something deeper than just the name of Jesus that she was saying. There was a power. There was a spirit there. And so when I was kicked out of school, I had just gotten a physical fight with my father. There was a lot going on. The police had got involved, and there were no help. And so I was sitting there, and I was like, man, what am I going to do? So it was like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was Cleveland, Ohio, snow up to Wazoo. And I got to a place, and I was like, Lord, I need you but I didn't know how to call on him. So I called my mama. I called my pastor that I had knew of. No one picked up the phone. I called my drug dealing boyfriend, no one. Because of where I was, I was already addicted to drugs. I was already trafficking drugs. I was always doing things in the streets, but I didn't have anyone really to come alongside and develop me or, or help me to grow. And so at that moment, the only way I knew how to call on the Lord was to how my grandmother did. So I raised my hand and I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about his name, y'all. There's something about how he keeps us. And so when I called on the name of Jesus, he came. He came like a comforter. Like all those tears, all that snot bubbling, all that stuff that was going through, it just it couldn't, it couldn't hold up to that name, right? It was something beautiful about him. So as I fast forward through my story, what kept me, though, because that was an emotional response in some ways, because I still went back to dealing, using drugs. I still went back to my ex-boyfriend. But what ended up happening was two campus ministers gave me the gospel and they told me of my sin. They told me of who I was before a holy God. And they told me how I had a debt to pay that I could not repay. And they said, you keep trying to get there. You keep trying to pray. You keep trying to go into church. You keep trying to be a good girl before you can never get back up to that reconciliation space that you have with God. And they said, what God is gracious to do is that he sent his son down for you. Y'all at that moment, can you imagine all the stuff I had did, all the things that I had been through that that God was so gracious to come after me? And from that moment on, there was something beautiful and something testimonial about him in my life. And so from that moment on, those two men subsequently discipled me and their wives and a community of people went around me to disciple and pour into me. So again, I was ratchet, but then he redeemed me. <laughs> All right. So I think when you think about Princeton, don't think about Princeton, think about testimony. Think about how God came from me and how I just really want to be able to be one woman in your life, whether it be a man or a woman or a child, whoever in this room, that I help come alongside you and you're walking in your journey. So I, the one thing that I think I grew from with those people was intentionality. They were intentional about me, and I want to be intentional about my time here with you guys. So I'm going to turn it back over to our pastors. Um. So Corey, uh, like some of us, Corey is very personable, but it's easier to come into a church when you take the first step. Amen. So uh, please uh, connect with her, get to know her as she gets to know everybody here. And uh, we learned that Corey's not a punk. Praise God. Like she's all right. So let's uh, let's pray. Let's pray for Corey. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you anoint Corey for a time such as this? As our church is growing in our insight and discipleship and our, our different vehicles that we use, God, we don't just need new systems. We need great people, God. And so thank you for setting Corey apart. Thank you for saving her in those moments. And now, God, 
unleash her to do the work you've called her to do before the foundation of the world. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Love you. Well, um, Corey is here, but I also want to tell you guys, by way of introduction to my message, about another uh, person. His name is James. Uh, James just completed uh, his PhD at Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. And so right now he's doing his residency there, and he is an awesome guy. He actually... Uh, graduated high school from Gonzaga High School in Maryland. So really cool guy. Then he went to Morehouse College in Atlanta. The uh, Praise God for all one of you back there. Um, he graduated from Morehouse. And the thing about, Cor- uh, the thing about um, James that's so cool is James is not just the guy that just studies books. Like he's a down-to-earth guy. He actually Pledge of Fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, and he actually is like really involved. He does those, you know, those Spartan races that people run and get crazy. Yeah, they really, and he also does softball on the weekends, right? So one of the things that I'm most proud of him about is not just all these different accomplishments. He just about two years ago, he married the love of his life, Michelle Hobbs. Now, Michelle is his wife, and so I am incredibly proud of James and Michelle. They are just, every time I see a picture of them, it just warms my heart. Now, here's my confession about James. Several years ago, um, my dad joined Facebook. And when he joined Facebook, um, I looked him up. And when I looked up James Roberson, this dude's picture popped up. This cat's name is James Roberson III. I have never met this dude. I've never had a conversation with him. I checked out his picture several years ago. I check in on him every year to see how he's doing. I don't know this man. I've never talked to this man. I have no relationship with this man. Social scientists would call this what we call impersonal knowledge. I could walk up to James and tell James about James. Even though I have impersonal knowledge, I don't have what we call personal knowledge. You see, we live in a a stalker culture where we think if you know about people, you know them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever met somebody and you stalked them already? And you're like, hey, my name is James. You're like, I already know, hey. My kid's name is Faith. I already, it's like, oh, Faith, oh, I will. but you already know because you already stalked them. Don't lie. You've done it. Praise God. Here is, what, here is what's happening in this text. Part of, the problem, part of the problem now and part of the problem then is people think, people have a misunderstanding of what it is to know someone. And the presumption is if I know facts about you, I know you. You see, I just reeled off many facts about James Roberson III. In fact, I have the same name as this individual, but I don't know what his wedding day was like. I don't really know what it was like to court Michelle. That's her real name, praise God. I don't know them, but I know about them, and I've been been literally watching this guy since 2013. He might, he might podcast. Hello, James. <laughs> Understand that the book of John is written in a, per- a particular way, a little different than the other gospels. Most of the times when someone's writing a, a book now, in the introduction, they tell you why they wrote it. John, towards the end of his book, tells us why he wrote it. In John 20 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, verse 31, but these are written so that what? You may believe. I wrote this down that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And what John is saying is it is not enough for you to know facts about Jesus. 
I don't want you to know Jesus in a factual way. And what he, in his mind, is what God is actually looking for is not for fans that know information about him, but for friends that would proclaim him to the world. What in reality is happening throughout this book is uh, when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are called the synoptic gospels because basically Mark being the first gospel writer, many scholars would say that uh, Matthew and Luke took many of their ideas from Mark, but when you look in the book of John, 90% of John is exclusive to John because what, that's why it's not considered a synoptic gospel. It, it, does, it has no synergy with the other books. It is unique and exclusive. And that is because what John is trying to do is have a very evangelistic edge. He's trying to make sure he deals with some of the biggest claims that Jesus makes. And so you'll hear these I am statements that Jesus will make. John will put those in the forefront. And so one of the things that you will see throughout this book is that Jesus will make claims. And the heartbeat of this book is not that we would only have claims, but that you would know those claims and then you would proclaim him. That's the point of this book. It is evangelistic in nature, meaning this book should change you. And this book should want you to see others change. You should look at the claims of Christ, it should rock you. And then if it's really doing its work, you should want to tell somebody. We are to proclaim him and to make him known to the world. So with that in mind, uh, as we look at the introduction with the book of John, the first verses there, there's something you have to understand in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In in all three of those synoptic gospels, the way it starts off, they, they have their very unique way. Uh, in Luke chapter one, verse five, he says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, uh, Judea. And, and so there, uh, uh, Luke is trying to give us a context of his current day, his current circumstances. But when you look in the book of Mark, look what Mark does. He says, the beginning of the gospel, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah. So at the very top of the book, Mark will actually go and jump all the way back to Isaiah. So if you look in Luke, Luke looks at his immediate day. Luke also does do a genealogy, but I'm just talking about the way he starts the book off. Luke looks at his immediate day, and then Mark looks, he says, hey, go back to Isaiah. And then when you look at Matthew, Matthew says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what Matthew does, he says, hey, look at these big hitters, David and Abraham. So he's looking, he says, look back at all these people. And so what they're trying to do is peer up the Old Testament with the new. He's trying to get you to understand Jesus in correlation with the Hebrew Bible. John is different. John is that friend that doesn't, you know, you have a friend that doesn't have a hard time saying hard things. You have a friend like that? Who's just like, well, I'm going to say it. The most controversial thing about Jesus was not whether or not he was a good teacher. It's whether or not he's God. And even saying the son of God doesn't have the same edge. So this is what John does. John says, I'm going to say it. I'm going to just say it. I'm going to tell him. I'm going I'm, to tell him. Starts the book off in the beginning. And he takes them back, not to David, not to Abraham. He goes to the very first book of the Hebrew Bible. And you can correlate them, and they both say, in the beginning. He confronts the belief of the Hebrew thought process and says that, this beginning is the beginning with the word. And he's obviously correlating the word as Jesus. He says, he goes on to say that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. But then he says, and the word was God. He flat out says it. In addition to that, he says he was in the beginning with God, but then the audacity. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He says that Jesus was not just watching the creation being made. Jesus is co-creator. 
In Genesis 1, 26, Jesus is being positioned in the phrasing in Genesis 1 of let us make man in our image after our likeness. Some would say that this is speaking of royal language, but many Trinitarians would say that the us in this text is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that this is Trinitarian language, saying that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and there Jesus is creating the world with God. You've misunderstood Jesus if you don't see him as God. John, oh, audacious John, bold John, he not only seeks to open the eyes of the Jew, but he's also opening eyes of the Greek. Because the Greek philosophers of that time when it says, in the beginning was the word. When he uses that word, word, he is being very strategic with the word choice. Because the word in Greek is the word logos. It's where we get logo or logic. In, in keeping with Greek philosophy, uh, the word, the concept, the logic, or the logos, rather, was a deep concept of rationale. It was a term philosophers would use to talk about this impersonal force. In other words, people were trying to grasp how things were made and how there is such order to the world. And so the way that they would position the order of the world was by calling it the logos, this impersonal force that makes everything happen. The Greek philosophers would use this and debate amongst them how the Logos manifests itself, how the Logos works in creation, how the Logos makes things tick. And John, old audacious John says, in the beginning was the Logos. It was the word. And he is then therefore positioning Jesus as God and Jesus as this Logos. Greek thinkers really aren't, many, aren't very different than us today because in our world today, we are trying to figure out how things that are made have been made and why things are the way they are. And if you are not an atheist, maybe you are spiritual, and one of the kind things you do is instead of using the word God and instead of the reason word Jesus, you just call it universe. And so that's kind of been a new thing. As I've looked around, I've been in meetings, and there's been this desire for us to pray to the universe, to talk to the universe. Folks is at the Golden Globes and saying, I want to thank the universe. <laughs> well, I do think that there's something about believing that there's something more just as these philosophers believe that there was something more, we need to give credit where credit is due. At least we're not saying we just happened. So we should acknowledge that if you believe that there is a logos, i.e. an impersonal force like the universe working, praise God, you are reaching your mind up. But when we see TV shows where it says the universe is trying to tell us something, um, I just want to help. The universe is not a conscious, self-aware being. Saying the universe is speaking to you would be like saying your dog is speaking to you. These are not beings that communicate. And so, in other words, when someone is saying the universe, it feels odd when you're in a crowded room when everybody's saying universe and you say Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know what John is like? John is like that family member, like, you know, everybody's at Thanksgiving, and that one person starts off and says, hey, I'd like to thank the universe. Everybody's like, oh, thank you, praise God, yes, oh, that's so awesome. And they go around, and then all of a sudden they get to John, and John is like, I'd like to thank the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the, the creator of the universe. <laughs> Like, John is that dude. 
Because John is taking a word and flipping it on its head in order to be an apologetic amongst everybody. He used the same word to tell them who God really is. Now, I have to move on, but I just want to make something clear. Um, the universe doesn't listen to you. The universe doesn't love you and didn't die for you. Praise God. Let's move on. John 1, right? Praise the Lord. Now, so that's what he's doing. He, he, again, he's an apologist. He wants to get this word out. He's taking words. He's redeeming them for redemptive purposes so that they might know God. Now, John goes on. And listen, I, we, uh, this week we are going to send out in our email, we're going to send out a reading schedule because there is just no way I can cover everything. John is such an articulate, dynamic thinker and writer that I, you could spend Honestly, five years preaching through every verse here because every verse is so punched and powerful. But I do think you should take your time in reading this. And so we'll have a reading schedule that goes out through our email so that you can be reading and keeping up, especially as you enter into city groups and keeping up with uh, the next uh, set of verses that will be coming up. Now, he goes on in verses four and five. He says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The word life and the word light. Life and light. This idea that in Jesus there is fullness of life. That Jesus being the creator of the world understands life as a creator, i.e., he understands the design of life. And so to know Jesus is to know the designer of life, to know the fullness of life. But not only is life in Jesus, but he is the light, meaning he reveals, he shows, and he exposes in the dark. Full life is in him. But life with God means life under the lights. Yes, life with God is life. Under the lights, you'll get wisdom knowing Jesus. But you'll also get convicted. You'll experience great grace because he will show you your sin but you'll also experience great comfort through the Holy Spirit. He is a light that reveals, but he's also a light that exposes. My daughter this morning, she has discovered the power of a flashlight. She, she this morning realized that a flashlight during the day with the lights on means nothing. So now I'm walking by the bathroom She's got the flashlight. She opens the door. She's like, Daddy, come, come. Whole new discovery for her. She's like, light, 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 meaning turn the light off. And then she's just like, she's putting up to her face like, God. <laughs> and here's what she loves to do. She's taking me to the toilet. She's opening the toilet. She's like, look, 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 look. And then she's going behind the shower. She's like, look, 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 look. And, she's, and, and, and this is the thing she's discovering is that when you have light amongst darkness, you love showing Because when you're in darkness and you don't see, the one thing you want to do desperately is, do you see it now? You know, your eyes were adjusting to the darkness. You don't see. No, no, no. I, the light will, it will show you everything. And so she's discovering the power of light's ability to show what's really there. Jesus was life and light. He was everything we want, but he also wanted to reveal. And this is why some of you have come today because you know the life is in him and life hasn't been working. So you've been inching up closer to God because you know life is in Jesus. But you also know he's a light. And some days you inch away when you know your dirt has been too dirty and you don't want to come in and you know you've done so many things wrong. And so we're in this back and forth that he's life. But good God, he's the light. 
And I want the life, but I don't want the light. But he's both. So maybe it might be important you know that he's a different kind of light. See, years ago, I, in playing football, I fractured my ankle. And I was the first time I was in an x-ray machine. And the thing about it that's very hard about an x-ray machine is that the doctor wanted me to put it in the position where the pain was the most because I had to see the fracture. And looks up, shows me I've got this deep fracture in my ankle, and he shows me it. It looked into my broken ankle, my fractured ankle, but he only did it for healing. And this light sheds light for your healing. And his exposure is to repair you, not destroy you. And maybe you had a father or mother that called you out to show their power over you. And light meant exposure and exposure meant hatred. But this is a different kind of light. This is the light that heals. It, yes, reveals, but it also heals. So, yes, you've been getting the life, but I want to welcome you into the light. Walk in the light. Walk with him. Because the darkness will destroy you. And the quiet life that you are holding on to is only a corrupted life. And the life in the light is fullness of joy. Well, here, he then tells us, uh, he, he goes on and he talks about John and then he says, this, you know, Jesus came to his own. He didn't receive him. And we'll, we'll cover different parts of those there. But then he says this powerful verse. Many authors would say that John 1.14 is maybe the most important verse in the Bible. In our understanding of Jesus, I wonder if you'd read this with me. John 1.14. We'll start on three. One, two, three. And the word. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, <clears throat> interesting here, although the word, word, is logos, and we understand it as rationale, we also have to understand the two-toned idea of the word, word, because he's also giving us this concept, word, because words are the way that you reveal someone. In other words, that's how you get to know someone, our words. This past week, I was uh, in upstate New York doing a, uh, a retreat and, uh, with Corey, with Princeton students. And while I was up there, um, you know, I'm speaking to them and uh, the leader of the ministry there said, hey, can you do a workshop for college students. And I was like, man, I ain't got no workshop. He's like, just anything, anything you think college students would come to. I was like, you know, dating or something? He was, they was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I was like, all right, so uh, we'll call it uh, Find the Love of Your Life. Boy, that thing was packed, on pack. <laughs> we were supposed to go an hour. We were like five hours. Like, it was just crazy, right? So no, we went two hours, praise God. So we were there for a while. No, real talk. We went overtime. So these are Princeton students. I did not know Princeton is the number one college in America. These are smart people, praise God, right? And they're asking me all these questions, and I'm, you know, I'm responding to the questions. And then, I mean, then they're just like, so then we're done. But the question I consistently got after, and if I could put it in the vernacular of our day, all they wanted to know was how do you shoot your shot? Like, that's all they, that's all they wanted to know. How, listen, the approach. How, how do I do it? Just what, what do I say? And I'm like, these people are so smart. I said, <laughs> I said, well, well I, I don't know the situation. They're like, well, but just tell me. I'm like, well, at some point, you have to approach them. <laughs> I 
I'm just saying at some point, I don't know when. And like, well, what do I say? I said, at some point, you say, I'd like to get to know you. Oh, <laughs> profound, profound. <laughs> wow. Are you serious? Yes. Well, I've been just checking. I know. And you have to walk up to them and say something and say something like, I'd like to get to know you better. Now, hopefully that's not the first sentence you're saying to them. But yeah. Now, why were these incredibly smart people wrestling with something so simple yet so profound? Because vulnerability and rejection, when paired together, feel like death. And now look at, look, look, the word, the revealed God, when it says it became flesh, meaning it became vulnerable. God was exposing himself. He gave his full self. He became killable. He became soft. He became someone who is making the approach. He's taking that first step. That's why they're so afraid. I can't imagine what would happen if they say no. In other words, I, I, if you were my own and you didn't receive me. I can't imagine making the approach and getting rejected. Have you ever in a conversation, in the midst of the conversation, said, listen, 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 I'm only human. And you... You weren't giving them new information, right? They didn't think you were a robot. No, you, you said I'm only human because what you were trying to say is I do some things right, but there's a whole host of things I do wrong. In other words, I'm frail. I'm weak. The humanness of Jesus means he was vulnerable, vulnerable and vulnerability has a cost. Because the minute I expose myself to you, you begin to see my weaknesses and you can kill my character. You, you can kill my emotions. You, you can make me not want to do this again. When I step out and I try to talk to you and you, 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 you disregard my attempts, it, you don't know how that feels. You can kill a person's character when they let you in. You can kill a person's vision when you tell them what you're thinking. And you can kill a person's body when they give themselves up. The word was vulnerable. The word was flesh. The word was exposed. The word took the first step and the word was rejected. Vulnerable Jesus. Our Jesus was vulnerable. Our Jesus could have been in a palace. Our Jesus could have floated all day. Our Jesus could have just flexed. But our Jesus was flesh. He was vulnerable. Our Jesus had a, a teenage mom. And our Jesus lost his father, and we don't know what happened to him. We just don't see him have, having this dad where they're building tables together as carpenters. He didn't have these poignant moments. And our Jesus is homeless and betrayed, and he's sold by his friend for change. Our Jesus was abandoned. Why does the word become flesh? Because Jesus, the Emmanuel, wanted to be with us, but he also wanted to show us the life we could not live, a life of perfection, of sinlessness. But he also wanted to say, I can sympathize with your weaknesses. I know. I know what it's like. Jesus doesn't know what it's like. 
Well, he told you he was vulnerable. But you're like, but he's God. And the reason why we have this tension is because you had a moment where you pleaded with God and you were vulnerable and you said, God, I want this. And you said, I want this. You said, I want this. And God did not respond. And in the same way that Princeton students are grappling with making an attempt to meet someone human and face rejection, some of us have attempted to reach up to God and face rejection through our prayers. And it's made you not want to pray deep prayers again. It's made you not want to reach up again. And you say, Jesus, you don't, you can't relate. Oh, you just got to read the text. Because see, in the garden, in Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. Not my will, but yours be done. And then, right then, an angel comes and strengthens him. In other words, the angel's like, nah, you're going to have to go through this. And you've prayed and you've sought God and you said, God, I need this. And God didn't do it. And you stopped pursuing as hard. And you stopped praying as hard. And if you've ever felt spiritually abandoned, Jesus says, I know. I know what that's like. Because I became flesh. I became soft. I became exposed. I know what it's like to be hurt. But the beauty of Jesus is not just that he, he's someone we can relate to and connect with. Look what it says here. He, he became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Oh man, John, wiling out, John. Bold John, crazy John, offensive John, John. John knows exactly what he is doing because there are two things that he does here as we close. Look what he does. He says, we have seen his glory. Ooh. Now they were okay with the whole Jesus at the beginning of time thing. Okay, okay, maybe he portaled something. okay. They were okay with Jesus doing all that, you know what I'm saying, rejection and light and light. Okay. But glory, whoa. Because anyone reading this would understand that glory goes to one person. And you see, in the religious of their day, they ain't got no problem with, you know, Jesus, Jesus is, you know, Jesus is kind of deity. Okay, we got all types of deities. Everybody gets a deity. Everybody, deity for you, deity for you. There's all types of deity. It's okay to be polytheistic. But the minute you start saying someone has exclusive glory, oh, now we're offensive. When you start saying, I am the way. And the minute he put this concept of glory goes to no one else, because he has said, we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father. John knows what he's doing. That the glory of God, Moses longed to see the glory of God. Exodus 33, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God responds in verse 20, and he says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. In other words, throughout the Old Testament, there was this desire, man, we want to see the fullness of God. We want to experience God. We want to see the glory of God. And here you have the audacity to say the glory of God is in Jesus. He's not hiding. Exodus 33, God is hiding. And what would happen in Exodus and what would happen in the story of Moses is that God could not be seen. So listen, listen, listen. So what God would do is he would create a tabernacle. And the tabernacle would go with the people of God. It was like this portable tent. And the glory of God would be within it. And so this tabernacle would be this expression of God being portable, God being movable, God being one that would go here and there with the people of God. God's dwelling was in the tabernacle. 
and look at old audacious John. John, in John 1 and 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you know what that word in the Greek means? Tabernacle. He tabernacled amongst us. The portable God, the moving God. Who is this portable God? Jesus. And as Eugene Peterson said, he said the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. He got right close to us. He came into our situation and he spoke to us. And so what do we do with this word, church? (laughs) Well, we have to ask the question. Do you know him? Has he moved in on your life? And if you know him, then I have to ask the second question. Do you love him? Now, if you say, I know him. Yes, I know him. You do? Yes. Do you love him? I don't know. Then you don't know him. Because you can't know him and like him. See, if you like him, you don't know the Jesus I know. You see, Jesus is the co-creator. And if he's the co-creator, then he made your eyes to see him. He made your heart to love him. He made your voice to pray to him. And he made your mind to know him. You can't know him and like him. To know him is to love him. And to know Jesus is not just to be stating facts about Jesus. It's because you've had an encounter with Jesus because he moved into your situation and you can't get enough of him. And if you can, then you have impersonal knowledge. And I pray you get personal knowledge tonight. Jesus, we love you. We can do nothing without you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that we would be personal with you tonight. We pray, Holy Spirit, I want to know you. God, help me know him. I want to see him. Help help me see him. I want to behold your glory. Help me feel him. I want my mind to wrap around him. God, expose in me what doesn't know you. And I want that life. I want it. Oh, God, tonight. I want more of you. Change me. Move everything out the way that is disrupting the knowledge of the living God. Because I don't just want to know you in my life. I want to know you in my whole life. I want my relationships to know you. I want my finances to know you. I want my emotions to know you. I want my mind to know you, God. Not enough of me knows you. I want to know you more tonight, Jesus. I want to know you more tonight. So you have the right to expose me, God. You have the right to shine your light all over my life. Because in him there is life. And it is the light of all men. Amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Tonight, we we take part in the communion. The Bible says that every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Let me encourage you tonight. If you don't know Jesus, you have to understand that this is a believer's moment. And this is really not about looking beyond you. This is about inviting you into this moment. But if you are unsure of your relationship with God, just know that this is a moment that is intended for the believer to deepen their walk with God. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he says, this is for you. And that you was people that he was dying for. And that you was folks he was shedding blood for. That you was a body he was breaking for. If you don't know if that you is you, then feel free to not take communion. But if that you is you, come. 
Enjoy the promises of God. Enjoy the life of God. Enjoy the light of God. Enjoy him as he tabernacles in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Enjoy him. Because communion is supposed to be this reminder, your mind. I'm eating this bread. I'm drinking from this cup. You're mine, God. And it is a reminder, I am yours. Commune. Commune with him. Do business with him. Ask him where he needs to shine his light tonight. If we can have the communion come. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you in this place. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, rain down on this place, God, and reveal yourself. God, would you make the sinner want to get closer? Would you make the proud want to be humble? And would you make the discouraged rise up tonight? Father, in the name of Jesus, reveal yourself to us in a more powerful way. Father, in the name of Jesus, show yourself, God. Father, in the name of Jesus, tabernacle in a new way in this place. In the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus, God. In the name of Jesus, God. Oh, we want you and nothing else. We want you and nothing else, God. We don't want to replace you with anyone else. In the name of Jesus, God, reveal yourself in my life in a fresh and new way, God. Reveal yourself in my life, God. And God, everything that is unlike you, move it out the way, God. I want you. I want the living God. I want a fresh word from the living God. And I don't want Sunday to be the height of my praise. I want to experience the life. And I know within the life there is light. Bring me that light. Shine it all around my life. Shine your light all around my life because I want you. I want you, God. I want you, God. I want you, God. I want you. And for those that are hiding, just know you're hiding and you're not healing. Hidden brokenness doesn't help a doctor. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name. You're going to come down these aisles, out the outer aisles, down these aisles. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.